As soon as I realised that the mountains are just stepping stones, everything changed. So when you get to the top of a mountain, you realise there's another one, and then another one, and then another one. It's so easy to to chase it. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I do it now. I chase stuff that I know there's going to be something else. The amount of times I've wanted to quit yeah. and I've wanted to stop and I've wanted to not bother. I mean, if I stop tomorrow, like nothing would, you know, things would be different, but my life would be easier. It would be so much easier. But that that <laughs> is, but that isn't the point. I don't do it for an easy life because at the end of the day an easy life is a boring life heroes are an inspiring group of people every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do every hero has a story to tell from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours every hero is special and every story worth telling but there is one class of heroes that i think is often ignored the entrepreneur the creator the producer the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves you know what i can fix that i can help people i can make a difference then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I am live on the line with Mike Bryan. Mike, are you there? I am, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Richard. Awesome. Thanks for being here. And for those of you who've been following along with our uh, podcast, my uh, wife and family and I, we're still um, stuck for our COVID crisis. We did finally get an outdate to actually start moving and traveling. And Mike, you said you were coming in from uh, Spain. Is that right? Yeah, lockdowns, um, lockdowns getting intense here. They, they seem to be testing how far they can open up and then and then the cases shot up again so we're going back into back into lockdown so i hear so it's not um it's not looking good yeah yeah we're we're sort of dealing with the same thing on this side of the pond uh we can travel a little bit inside of florida but we can't really go outside of florida without quarantine and other things so um that's what we're doing which is kind of difficult for a family that you know travels full-time like we do so <laughs> We've been stuck for six months. Well, let me go ahead and go through your introduction real quick for our listeners who may not know who you are. Um, so Michael Bryan is a speaker, podcaster, author, and entrepreneur that hasn't let having cystic fibrosis and diabetes hold him back from achieving his dreams. Um, having got to the other side of zero self-worth, having a host of insecurities, losing friends, family, giving him a sense of moral, um, morality, motivation, and loss of purpose, he gives a fresh perspective on self-improvement. You've been on TV, spoke on stage, hosts the top-rated self-improvement podcast, The Ask Mike Show, where he's interviewed inter influencers and celebrities. Now he helps other entrepreneurs and change makers do the same and has written a book talking you through the whole process. So, Mike, with that brief introduction, why don't you start off in telling us a little bit about your business now right who do you serve what do you do for them you know basically how do you make money well one of the one of the biggest things that i found is a lot of people that want to they want to go beyond just themselves so they want to find something and help people in a way that's not just about them so there's an element of impact involved there's an element of wanting to make their mark and what I found is that's scary for a lot of people. That's scary for people that they're kind of, I don't want to say stuck, but they are comfortable. They are used to the way things have always been, but they feel that pull of wanting to go bigger or wanting to do more. And I help give them the, the confidence and the self-esteem and the tools and tricks that, that I used and I help them make their mark as well. That's kind of how, that's how I do it. I take my experience along with what I've learned over the years, and I, I help people do what, what I'm able to do. Awesome. And you do that through like coaching and stage speaking and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different ways based on, on what they need. So there's, there's a few people that would just need the information, need the, the processes, and they can go ahead and do it on their own. 
um, but there are people that need the extra accountability or hand-holding and that's what the, the coaching is for. Nice, nice. So how long have you been uh, doing that for now? I start oh, we're going back a few years now because if we're talking just the way I do things now, it's probably about three or four years. But I've been coaching for, for over 10 years. So I used to be a tennis coach and a personal trainer sort of on this mission of helping people in bigger and bigger ways. I was about maybe 18 or 19 when... I was like, oh, I'm doing really well health and fitness wise. And yet there are people out there that are struggling with it. And that feels like it's such a bigger, such a bigger task, I suppose, or a bigger challenge than tennis. So in my yeah. mind, it was like, oh, I could maybe do both. You know, I could tennis coach and be a personal trainer. How cool would that be? So it's been, it's been a long journey of helping people. That's for sure. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. So Let's talk a little bit about how you got into uh, this whole coaching gig, right? We, uh, we, we say on this show, every hero, good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today, right? You know, we want to hear that story. Were you born a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into coaching? Um, or did you start in a job and eventually moved into becoming an entrepreneur, right? So basically, I want to know how you got, how you got from where you were to, to doing this, this kind of work for other people. Well, when I was around 15 or 16, um, I started playing tennis. That was the first sport I, I ever really played. And well, as soon as I started playing, I knew I was never going to turn professional, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I know that at 15 or 16, you're not really supposed to, but I didn't have anything. I, I didn't really the only thing I was really good at was sport. I wasn't particularly academic. I wasn't particularly smart. I was kind of the middle of the road. So there was not a lot of like, I want to be an accountant or I want to be this or I want to be that. I didn't have that, that pull. But sport was what I enjoyed. Originally started for my health, but then it progressed a lot further into I'm the same, if not better than people without my conditions. I want to be able to do something with this. So I did sport throughout a lot of the education system that I was on. And I got to a point where my coaches started to ask me if I fancied trying my hand at being a coach. Um, I just said, yeah, because I thought it was my only option. I didn't really have much else. So it was like, well, I'll give it a go. So I did what I needed to do qualifications wise. I started out volunteering at my local tennis club. And the thing that made me want to stay doing it, the thing that made me want to keep helping people, keep going. And then as I've grown as a person, how I've helped people has changed, but it's still the same sort of, feeling that I got you know when you see the the kids that you help the sort of smiles on their faces when you help them get better and they start to love the game again even though you know some parents can push kids into into competing and it makes them hate it but when they get better at the sport and you see the, the whites in their eyes and they, they love it so much that's what convinced me that's what made me think I want to do that so there's a bit of a, a selfish, selfless thing going on whereby I feel great when I help others feel great. And that's been my, my guiding light ever since. I've never really faltered all that much. And it's just allowed me to feel satisfied, feel fulfilled and feel like I'm, I'm living in a way that makes the most sense to me. Makes a lot of sense. And so I know in your, uh, in your bio, it mentioned that you suffer from uh, cystic fibrosis as well. So how does that tie into this whole story of being a coach? I, I like, I personally, I don't even know what cystic fibrosis is other than it's probably not good. <laughs> well, the, the condition affects my lungs and my digestive system mostly. So if you can imagine sports was one of the ways that the doctors and consultants told my parents that it was a form of treatment. So if I kept active, my lungs would keep sort of mobile and breathing, if you will, and that would give me the best chance of fighting off infections and letting the illness take over. So originally it started out as a form of treatment for CF, cystic fibrosis. And 
that's partly why it's all I really knew because it was all I did. If it wasn't like running around the, the school fields and playing football or whatever it was, it was I was in school or I was eating or I was doing my treatment and I was going back to bed. And there was no, there was an awful lot of like social life because of the treatments and things. I had to be home at a certain time. I had to eat a certain way. So it didn't really didn't really benefit me to do like the extracurricular stuff. Sport was my outlet. Sport was my thing. So that's how it started. And then as I got more of a handle on the conditions, I was able to broaden everything and try and do something with it. You know, there's only so much that you're given in life, if you will. And when you're able to do that, you know, just do what you can with what you have. That's how I started. Interesting. So the uh, the sport that you chose was, um, or that you got into, was actually a, a result of having this condition. Yeah, it, it was my brother that initially started playing first. So it's not sort of a, wasn't on a whim, so to speak. He started playing and I thought I would try it. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to become a coach or a player at the time until I realized that I had this thing of if I'm going to try something and I'm going to realize that I can do it, I instantly want to be good. So I've got this sense of I'm not to be, there's no point in just trying it and dipping my toe in. Doing something knowing that you're terrible doesn't sit well with me. So I got like lessons and I played all the time and I spent the hours on the tennis court that most people wouldn't put in. And that's what allowed me to to do those things. It was the same when I used to play basketball. It was I would do the 6 a.m. runs in the dark so that I was fit enough or just able to cope with the demands on the basketball court. It wasn't a case of I had to sacrifice anything. It was I want to be good at this thing and I'll do what it takes. It was a focused sort of... I just don't like being bad at things. I may as well do something else. <laughs> so, so how did you take the, make the transition from being a tennis coach into being a uh, self-improvement coach? This came about initially, it was the, the bridging was actually personal training. So I started off as a personal trainer, started running my own classes. Then I went into personal training in a local sort of um, gym, just a local commercial gym. And those of you that are aware, personal trainers can feel like therapists to their clients sometimes. They'll be training them, but their clients will be like, oh, I'm stressed out from work and I can't eat properly and I've got the time. And you start, rather than telling people how to eat, you start taking away their barriers to eating healthily. So rather than giving, telling people to eat healthier, is that right, well, maybe you should plan your way home so that you go to a healthy restaurant instead of an unhealthy one but you start giving them that sort of advice rather than eat healthier because you realize over the the years of doing it is if you remove enough of the barriers they'll do what you ask them to do if they're stressed out all the time giving someone a diet plan is not going to help if anything it'll stress them out more you know i used to tell them to do things like around work and things of that nature And I realized that I was making it worse for them. So their diet had to shift to make up for the fact that they were exercising twice as much. And when I first started, I had no idea. So I was actually not factoring in the lifestyle of the clients initially. And their job plays a massive part. And and I, I was at fault. I was in the wrong. You know, as a personal trainer, you've got the maximum level of convenience right so I used to play tennis I used to coach tennis I was in the gym like teaching classes and training like twice a day and then I had the flexibility to eat when I wanted and eat what I wanted and it was like I had no sense of I guess relation to my clients I couldn't relate to them at all whereas when I started to learn more about them I realized that they're not making decisions from the right place. They're not factoring in their lifestyle around where they want to go. You know, the whole sort of do what you can with what you have all over again. And I realized that 
I had to learn a lot about my clients to be able to advise them in the right way. It's like, you don't want to go to a doctor that has got no idea what your lifestyle is like. So when I started to take it that seriously, I realized that like mindset played a huge part. Lifestyle design played a huge part. And I found like I had Tony Robbins books from like 10 years prior that I'd never read. And I had like all, all the books I was being recommended to by people to start reading. I already had the books. I just hadn't read them. Like, you buy them with the best intentions, right? And then you're just gathering dust in, in the so-called library, just a shelf in your bedroom, right? With the books that you never intend on reading. That was me. When I first started, I had the books. I had the Tony Robbins books. I had the Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway books. I had the How to Rewire Your Brain books. And I hadn't read them. So around the personal training, I would also read up on like how we operate as, a, as people, right? Like brain science and mindset and all this, the personal development stuff because I realized that people can work out fine, but if, if it makes their life worse because they're too stressed out, they can't sleep. And it was like, I, had to, I actually told someone like you've got to factor in your entire family when you're trying to fit in exercising. And initially that didn't even cross my mind when I first started, but you imagine how much easier it would be for like a woman to have a conversation with their family about wanting to take their fitness and health more seriously. That was a game changer for her. And she was doing so much better afterwards in the gym all the time. Everything was better. And all I did was look, you've got to involve your family. It won't work if so. So, if I'm understanding you correctly, the transition happened because you made that realization that hey, there's more to just being fit and healthy than just doing the work, right? You actually have life and mindset, and the way that you think about all these things are important. And it sort of made that transition from just being a, a personal trainer into a uh, a sort of a life coach. Exactly, because when you do when you do your your personal training qualifications, they don't teach you any of that. They don't teach you like personalization like at that level. Yeah, you personalize your programs based on the results that your clients want. And there's a bit of factoring in like the lifestyle of the client, but you don't go deep enough. You, you're not able to make the long-term transformations that I wanted. People could lose, you know, like the, the whole thing where you can lose a lot of weight in a short-term period, but then what about two years from now? What about one year from now when, when it all goes back on again because your life changes and you don't know how to handle it? So I realized that there was a lot more to it. I realized that it's not just on the surface level. It's at the deeper level as well. And then when, this was a, around when social media started to take over. And we spend more time on our phones than not on our phones. So when I, yeah. I realized that, I took... Initially, I took the health coaching and the fitness coaching. That was my first stab at the, the online business world. It was taking the personal training and the health coaching, if you will. That was my first sort of online business. That's cool. Well, what I want to talk about next then is your superpowers, right? So every iconic hero has a superpower, right? Whether that's a fancy flying suit made by a genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, right? It's a skill or set of skills that you were born with or have developed over time that energize all of your other skills, right? So this superpower sort of, it runs its way through all of your skills and it's what sets you apart. It's what allows you to help your clients slay their villains in their life, right? And come out on top in their own journeys. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is in your business? I think my introvert nature and wanting to help people from an early age has given me the ability to listen a lot before I decide when to speak and what to say. Now, a lot of people will probably say that, but I think that so many people are used to just talking at people rather than trying to understand people before than trying to talk to them and treat them as a human. So I would say that is the main superpower that I have. So the, the ability to listen and understand, like actually 
we call it here between the lines, so to speak, right? With the, the things that they're not saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a good skill. Um, so how, how would you, th how do you think that has impacted your ability to actually get your clients better results? I think that very often it makes every step in the right direction. So once you configure it, you know, you, you can go, if you, if you imagine um, playing basketball and every step was towards the basket, you wouldn't need to take as many steps. But if you go around in circles or you go around the outside, you've then got to try and figure out how to actually get to the basket. So by doing it, the steps are harder, the steps are more meaningful, but there's less of them. And very often people get results a lot quicker by doing that rather than trying to just go for speed. And you realize that you're going around in circles. So that's one of the, the main ways that it's helped me. That's really awesome. So I'm going to talk about the flip side then, right? So if, the, uh, if your superpower is the deep listening, then the, the flip side of your superpower is the fatal flaw, right? So every Superman has his kryptonite. And, you know, every Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad. Um, you probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, something you struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things, right? Perfectionism that uh, kept me from shipping product. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would hold me back from actually getting things out because I would, you know, I always had more things I could tweak to make it better and then I would never ship, right? Or uh, self, lack of self-care, which for me led to letting my clients walk all over me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I think more important than what the flaw is, is how have you worked to rectify it in your business so that you can continue to grow? Um, and hopefully by sharing it, our listeners will learn a little bit from your experience. Well, the, the first one, I mean, I've definitely got more than one. Um, but the first one is because I spent so long being like creative. Like it was sports, it was coaching, it was creating. I'm not very technically minded. So... Like having to break projects down into like workable, like, you know, th things of that nature. Like I'd rather be creative. I'm like an ideas and creative person. Someone goes, okay, that means you've got to do this. You've got to do that. You want to do this. And my brain just goes, oh, so that, that's one of mine. It's I'm not very good when it comes to uh, like being technical and being like, these are the steps to take. It's very difficult. I, I just want to do this up here. Sometimes I forget that in order to do that, there's a lot of working parts and a lot of things that go into it. That tends to be where, where I tend to struggle. So it takes me a while to do it. Or I hire someone that is more technically minded to, to do it for me or to at least do some of it for me. So that's, that's the first one. Uh, the second one is very often it can take longer than people think for me to actually give the advice. So if I was to just turn around and go, oh, well, you need this, this, and this, they go ahead and do it and make progress and then falter and go back, that's still on me. So I've got this sense of responsibility of making sure that I do things in the right way. So when I try to give advice and I try to advise people in the right way, the fact that it's the right way is important. So sometimes I can spend too long trying to understand and trying to figure out the moving parts and try to figure out how to factor everything into someone's day before I actually tell them what I think is best. Um, that can make things a bit more drawn out than it should be. Um, yeah. how I tend to counteract that or how I tend to work is over the years, it's just gotten easier over the years. I've started to make notes. I've started to notice more patterns and that's naturally sped things up. When I first started, I had to find those patterns. Whereas now I acknowledge the patterns, I find them. And then rather than have this big spider web of options there's only so many that work for certain types of people so but it just takes experience there's nothing secret about that apart from you make notes and then notice commonalities with the people that you work with uh, that tends to be how yeah. how i tend to cope with that yeah that's interesting because uh, i had i had a similar similar problem albeit you know different space was a uh, um 
because of the the breadth of what I was doing in our in my um, my business for our clients, um, there's like all these various different things that could go down, and there's it's very customized. Um, and it wasn't until I like actually sat down and wrote out my system, like every little thing, and started working on branding, like branding it, like hey, this is like specifically what we do for this step, and what we do for this step, and what we do for these steps, and like you know all the different pieces in between. Then when someone would come to me. I could like sit down in front of my whole system with them. It was like a map and we could be like, hey, here's where you are on this journey. And here's like what it looks like in the front. And here's what it looks like in the past. You know, did you hit all these steps to get here? And if they missed one, we could fill them in. And like it was it was like once I finally had a system down, then it made it, it shrunk that time, right? The time to actually make good recommendations to people. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how a combination of being more specialized and understanding that when you do that and recognize patterns that people have gone through, it naturally speeds up by itself. Like you can not have, you can still be this listening, understanding, wanting to know kind of person like I am, but then you match that with the fact that you're laying it on a system the, there's only so many things that work, you know. If you've got a structure, you can veer away a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Structure, you end up over like all over the place. So I think just by me being, being more specific and understanding that you only work with certain types of people. I work with mostly introverts because that's what I am generally. So when when that happens, you go, okay, well, these are the things that work for me. These are the things that work for other people everyone wants the same result so naturally it's going to be more of a pyramid shape rather than like a web and that just makes everyone's life easier and the people you work with get results a lot faster so it kind of yeah, yeah. i call that the um the crocodile infested river right like it, it's it's you you know the path that you've been across right i've helped i've been across this path i've helped other people across this path so like when they come up to the edge and you're standing there with your your boat and be like, Hey, I've been across this river before, right? I'm an introvert like you. I've got, you know, have cystic fibrosis like you, whatever the thing is, right? Like I, I understand this journey that you have to take because I've been there myself. I've been across to the promised land. I've helped other people get across so you can more easily help them get across that, uh, that river as well. Yeah. That's it. It's almost like it's, it's the beaten path. You know, you've beaten the path down. It's easier for other people to, to go across. And I think that, for some people as well, like having a, it was when I was a, when I was a personal trainer many years ago, they were very, very taken back when they realized I had the conditions. So I, I, obviously when you've got health conditions and you're seen as, as lesser, if you will, I did everything to be like anybody else. Like you name it. All of it was in secret. I take my meds like in the in the toilets, right out the way, so no one really knew what I was doing. I did everything to be seen as if I was somebody that didn't have the conditions, which meant that when I, because the, the book is about how I started to speak on stage and host my podcast and do all the things that old Mike would never have even attempted. Like you've no idea how quiet I was, thanks to bullying and people pleasing and you know being told to sit down whenever I tried to do things that I really wanted to do you know stay in your place almost eventually when people started to find out my personal training clients were sat there thinking my excuses literally don't matter like I, I'm complaining to Mike about these little insignificant things and sometimes Mike can barely get out of bed in the morning and I'm here saying, oh, my ex is doing my head in. Oh, boo-hoo. They started to correct their own excuses and started to give themselves a bit of a, not, not a beating, but they started to give themselves a telling off whenever they would come to me with their excuses for why they couldn't get results. So naturally, they got results a lot faster. Like, because these sort of, the excuses stopped mattering, you know? So they were like, yeah. yeah so they started taking ownership of it. Yeah, there's a like ownership of it. There's a lot of self-accountability that comes with realizing that someone's better than you that started off with less. So with that, everyone's like, started becoming self-accountable. Which some people, it takes that to be, some people don't have that. Some people don't have the ability to be accountable to themselves. 
So when I sort of took the burden of that, if that makes sense, I mean, I was someone that was never really a leader, if you will. I was never seen as someone that people would follow, people would listen to. I was in the shadows until like the end of my teenage years. So no one really knew who I was, didn't have many friends, couldn't socialize all that much, just because I had, I had other stuff to do. I had other stuff to worry about rather than whether my friends liked me or not. You know, it was a bit insignificant compared to what I had to go through on a daily basis. So it was really strange for people to go, your story's amazing. I've got no more excuses now. Like my, my brain's just, just, watching you, just watching you do you and you do the things that you're doing is enough for me to shut my own excuses up. So, because a lot of people follow me from the personal training days, still now, still now, I'm going back years. So I go, I'm speaking on stage or I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I still get messages from people that I used to have as personal training clients be like, oh my God, that's amazing. You've come so far in such an amount of time. It's amazing to see you do this, this and this. It's so inspiring. And I'm, I'm, I'm still sat there and I'm going, but I'm not really doing anything. Like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel huge to me. But to other people, it's crazy. It's phenomenal. It's inspirational. So it, it's, a funny, it's a funny situation to be in when, yeah. when it happens. It's, uh, it's, one of the, it's one of those things that uh, the things that come easy to you don't come easy to other people, right? And that's where you, you discover your, the value you can bring to the world. Because right? anything that you're looking at it going, hey, it, it wasn't that hard or it's not that special, and the rest of the world is looking at it going, I can't do that. Um, that's, that's, where, that's where the magic is. Yeah, I mean, if, if you buy a copy of the book when it comes out, then you, you will know that it wasn't, you will know just how difficult it was. Um, there's a full chapter on my sort of initial speaking journey. And it's, 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 when I, when I, when I had to write it, I went back there mentally to write it. And, oh, it was, it, it was horrible. Like the, the amount of work that went into it mentally, considering like, you know, I, I was singled out when I was like five years old for a CF fundraiser, where I had to go from not many people knowing that I had the conditions to the whole school knowing that I had the conditions because we organized a fundraiser and the teachers were like, well, the kids will want to know like why we're having this fundraiser, you know? And I was the only one in the school that had the conditions. That's just the way it was. So eventually I hated being in front of people. So everything from like little presentations in like college or university would scare me. I didn't like any of it. There was nothing about speaking in front of people that I enjoyed. But then when people started to tell me that, you know, it would be amazing if you shared this on stage, it would be so good. My brain was like, well, maybe you could. I managed to convince myself that, that I could do it, but it wasn't based on how I thought of myself. It's based on how other people perceived me, which is one of the, is one of the reasons why people do what they do is how other people see them. So in the back of my mind, I thought, well, maybe I'll give it a go. And the whole story is horrible. Like having to convince myself to get up off the chair when my name was called out and how heavy my legs were walking up the stairs and the fact that I don't even remember what I spoke about just because <laughs> like, I, was, I was shaking. I could feel like my heart was like in my head. My hands were all tight and sweaty and I couldn't think properly. My brain was just like, oh my God, 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 the whole time. And it was like what I was thinking and what I was saying were different the whole time. I was resorting to read off the slides, Mike, read off the slides. And my brain was like, don't do it, don't do it. Don't walk up the stairs. While I'm walking up the stairs, I'm going, don't do it. Just don't, just don't, don't go upstairs. Don't do it. Turn around. You can still turn around. And then there's a little voice that went, but you can't turn around. You're halfway up the stairs. People are waiting for you to go on. And I share all that because there are people out there that just want to feel 
like they are going through something that other people do. Because you see people, don't you, that like they rock the stage and it puts people off that have never done it before. You know, they see people that are at the peak of their career, if you will, peak of their growth as a human, and it puts people off from starting. And people never start, and then people regret it because they thought they could never get to where they're comparing themselves to. And a part of why I'm writing the book is so that there's people out there that are introverts like me, that are struggling like me, that are unsure about whether this is normal. And there are people that try to meditate and they go, this is horrible, I can't even think straight. And they think that they're not doing it right. That's the kind of thing is that, look, if you're struggling, if you're trying to convince yourself that starting this thing is a good idea and you've got to convince yourself, you've got to justify it, you've got to write out the pros and cons, you've got to drag yourself out of bed because you've got no other option because you've got this thing that pulls you that you just can't explain. And yet when you try to do it, it still scares you even though you want to do it at the same time. And you're living in that like contradiction of you want to do it, but you don't want to do it, but you do, but it scares you to do it. So you don't want to do it, but deep down, you still want to do it. Living that way is some people don't even realize what that's like. Some people don't realize that that's what it can take for someone that is a worrier. <laughs> that, that yeah. So it sounds, and it sounds like that's, that's your your common enemy right that you're you're constantly worrying about that yourself but also helping other people struggle and fight with uh with that that sort of mentality yeah it's hard it's hard to live this way it's hard because it's not it's not a theory book it's not a five steps to change your life it's learning from someone that's living it but learning it like you're walking the journey with me. That's the idea behind the book. So you learn about what runs through my mind. You learn about what, like, where I sort of feel the most anxious before I do it. You also learn the differences between the first time I do something and the second time. Because yeah. based on my own experience, the first time I ever did something was the worst. Like, it was absolutely horrific. Even from, like driving test which I don't cover in the book but driving test to speaking on stage to my first interview to the first time you do it is horrible what it is for me but the second time is very very different and I, sh I share that difference I share how very often it can feel different but the outcome's the same because even though I was absolutely like I was operating a million miles a second on my first time on stage. It was horrible. I must have burnt like 500 calories just the whole night. And I was on fire the whole time. <laughs> time, it was very different. I didn't feel the same way. But people didn't think I was nervous first time around because it was recorded and I put the YouTube video. I did the, the brave thing of putting the YouTube video up online. Didn't watch it back. Couldn't face it. I really couldn't face watching my, my own talk again. But they were like, I don't, I don't understand why you thought you were nervous. I mean, I, I couldn't tell. The talk was really good. And I'm there like, you've got to be kidding. You have got, there's no way you can't tell I'm nervous. I'm like, no, we can't tell. So that's what convinced me to do it again. And the outcome was probably similar but it felt very, very different. And that is something that people will need to learn. People need to know that. People need to know that once you get over the first time, the second time can be very different. The second time you do something can be so much better just because of how it feels. And then you start to wonder, like as I was wondering whether or not this speaking thing could be anything that I could do. As if it was so bad and so horrific first time round, it would take so much for me to get up on stage a second time. Same thing with like starting my podcast. It was, oh my God, how am I going to get guests? It has to be perfect. Your sort of perfectionism thing that kicked in. I feel like I've got every insecure story going and every single one I've been able to overcome because at the end of the day, when you're when you're pushed to be in the situations whereby you have to practice what you preach 
but I was a self-proclaimed mindset coach, right? I read all the books. I did everything. I practiced some of it myself, you know, because I felt like I needed to, right? To sort of earn my stripes, if you will. But the situations that you're put in that force you to practice what you preach in a whole new way, that's what made me realize the power of how you think, the power of yeah, how yeah. to you. And sometimes there's nothing like it. Like, I, I thought I was doing okay, like mentally, because I wasn't challenging myself either. It's so easy to, to be amazing until life hits you in the face, right? So when you're <laughs> best full, when you're in those situations is when you've got to learn the tips. That's when you need to know the skills and the, and the practices and the breathing routines and the, the box breathing when you walk up the stairs because it's the only way to control your breathing before you step on stage. It's the, the things that you tell yourself before you turn the mic on. Before this interview, I had to have an element of a routine just to give myself a sense of control because I don't know what questions yeah. you're going to ask. So that, that's something that you don't learn if you never actually put yourself in those situations. So in light of sort of that whole story, how do you think that informs what we call your, your driving force, right? So the flip side of your common enemy, right? So the thing, it's the thing that you fight for, right? So like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the information. What is it that you fight for? Right? Is it is it uh, informed by that whole uh, the whole process of learning how to get past the first time, right, and get good at something? I think one of the things that I'm fighting for is for fulfillment and challenge. So as soon as someone told me that happiness is related to progress. And happiness is related to being fulfilled and the power of overcoming a struggle is bigger than anything. You know, people don't value struggle enough. So I fight for showing people that, that you can be fulfilled. I, I like that, that uh, the different. value of struggle, um, yeah. because there's, there's so much, there's so much to that, right? Like the, we, we think for some reason that the thing that we're, that we all want is the end of the journey right we want to get to retirement we want to get to the best speaker thing we want to get to be the top of our game whatever the thing is or you know we want to buy the cool barbecue or whatever the you know the physical thing is it's always we think it's the end game and when you get there you realize the end game isn't what you wanted what you wanted was the journey like you wanted the struggle uh, and for whatever reason human beings we we live for the struggle we live for the journey the adventure so to speak as soon as I realized that the mountains are just stepping stones, everything changed. So when you get to the top of a mountain, you realize there's another one and then another one and then another one. It's so easy to, to chase it. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I do it now. I chase stuff that I know there's going to be something else. The amount of times I've wanted to quit yeah. and I wanted to stop and I wanted to not bother. I mean, if I stopped, tomorrow like nothing would you know things would be different but my life would be easier it would be so much easier but that that <laughs> is but that isn't the point i don't do it for an easy life because at the end of the day an easy life is a boring life and i say that knowing that Everyone has their own struggles, no matter what position you are, everyone has something they're dealing with and everyone has a battle that we're not going to win. I have several, I'm not going to win mine. And yeah. as, as soon as you realize that, as soon as you're not really going to win this thing, because even if you tick off things and even if you cross off your bucket lists and you know, let's say you've got your top 10 bucket list and you do all 10 you'll find an 11th one, you'll find a 12th one, because eventually you'll just get bored. And then you'll think of something yeah. else. And then you'll think of something else. And then we're at, at the end of the day, we all, we all get to go to the grave. So we all lose the battle eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the trick is how you feel between those things. So yeah. before I moved abroad, right? So I currently live in, not in the country that I was born in, right? So I moved abroad, nice place. 
obviously not now with lockdown and everything, but it's, um, it's a weird situation right now. But when I moved abroad, it took everything for me to come out here. Given that I, I don't fly that much, I had to fly on my own, which was horrible. Um, there's no other way of putting it. I was like, first time flying on my own is going to be a one-way flight. Good luck with that, Mike. Yeah, you'll enjoy that. Surely you will. Not. Um, <laughs> but it, it was something that it was something I really, really, really wanted to do. And there's so much that you can tick off. There's so much that you can strive to achieve. But you, you've got to be okay in between those things. Because if you're, if you're doing things for the wrong reasons, then it's different. It's a different feeling. So now my holidays are not to escape anywhere. My holidays are not to go to a, just escape to a beach. Because I, I live on an island that has loads of beaches. So now I go on holiday for a different reason. Same thing with this. Like if, if you're doing things for the, the box to be ticked, if you're doing things for the, the high of achieving something, that's okay. I've, I've got nothing wrong with that if that is what you want to do. You know, there are people out there that, that that's what they do. That's fine. But if you're unhappy between those things and that's the only time when you feel good, then there needs to be something else. There needs to be something else that's making you feel good in yeah. between things you have to uh, have to change change your definitions a bit um because the oh what do you call it the waiting until you have a certain bit part of your life happen or wait until you get a certain thing in your life to be happy is a sure way to not be happy most of the time um so. yeah you do both like the amount of people that i know yeah. are achieving things for the achievement but they still feel amazing in between and they've got the, the amazing yeah. life in between. So there's nothing wrong in doing both, but if the own, it, we're talking like people that get the dopamine high and that's all they live for. That's a very different, I mean, I, I, I've had to do it. I've had moments where the only thing that I was actually getting out of bed for was to take my medicines and do my treatments and then go to the gym and then come back home and then that was my day. It was wait for eating was pretty much what I was doing. It wasn't, it wasn't it ideal. Was surviving. Yeah, it was just getting, <laughs> you were get, surviving. Just get to the end of the day. Just get to the end of the day. So and it was so difficult to, to break that cycle because I'm sure you're probably aware or someone listening might be aware that becomes a very, very easy thing to get used to. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Hero Show will be right back. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. Now, back to the Hero Show. So I want to uh, talk a little bit about your guiding principles, right? So one of the things that uh, we say makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, yeah. Batman never kills his enemies. Um, he always brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we sort of wrap up the interview, 
I'm going to talk about top one or two principles that you use regularly in your life. Maybe a principle you wish you knew when you first started out on this journey that you use all the time now that keeps that keeps you going. One of the main things that I do try, my, uh, I sometimes fail at it, but I do try, and it's to, to give more than I take. That would be number one. Um, the only way I balance that out is to give in a way that I feel good about because it's very easy for me to fall back into my old self, which is people pleasing. So when I say give more than I take, it's like, okay, if you want my advice for free, then you can go to my podcast or read my, my book when there's an offer on or whatever the case is. There's, there's an element of if I just gave all the time, then I wouldn't be able to look after myself properly. It's impossible. So I had to decide how I wanted to give. And the podcast is one of them. The content that I create is another one. Just social media stuff like videos and posts. And it's, it's allowed me to, to give people access to it when people try to ask me for help in a way that I'm not overly comfortable with. If, if it's the start yeah. of that cycle of if I, I could quite easily be on calls with people every single day and chatting to people every single day. And I, I can do that and I can feel great about that because I am a people pleaser. I spent all of my teenage years doing it. So, and the worst thing was I actually got positive feedback from it, which meant that I wanted to keep going and get that positive return off it which is dangerous so being able to control how I give has allowed me to to feel good about the people pleaser side of me so that I just want to add that in so give more than I take but it has to be in a way that I'm happy with so that that'll be the first one yeah and it has it has to be a sustainable right you have to actually continue to to feed yourself and grow your business and things like that. And I remember I was in a place in early in my entrepreneur career, where I did the same thing right? where I was like, I was charging for things based on what I thought a good hourly rate was, which for me was like, you know, if I make $8 an hour um, doing this stuff, that's going to return hundreds of thousands of dollars to this business over the course of weeks. Um, you know, that it was, it, I was not, I was not learning how to value myself and, um, there, there wasn't a, there wasn't an even like give take, right. I was just doing the, all of the give, um, and it's not sustainable, right. It's, it's, you know, I eventually ended up having to close my business down because of it, um, and take an entirely different tack. So it's a, it's an important skill to learn, to learn how to do the whole, the whole give and take and how it fits in. Yeah, it is. It's something that I had to, I had to learn the hard way because I, I, I burned out, you know, I was chasing something because it was when I was in high school in the UK, which is sort of, I think it's like 12 to 16, something like that, years old. Um, I'd do extra homework to please the teachers and I would do like the extra bits and pieces to help out and I would do the extracurricular stuff and I would, I got, I got like awards for like helping out and stuff like that and it made me want to do it again. Because the alternative was potentially being bullied by people because I was small or my health conditions or the way I looked. So when you go from like negative to positive, it's like, I want more of that thing over there. So I spent a lot of years doing that. And it didn't really help because once I left, like once that wasn't around anymore, I was like, now what? What the heck am I going to do with the rest of my life? Um, it was funny because at that point, you're also given choices you can choose. So well, once you leave high school in the UK, you got college and university or it's college in the US, I think is university. So at that point, you can choose what you want to study and choose what you want to do. And that was a, a stage in my life where I didn't have a whole lot of experience of making my own decisions. So that, that was where I had to go through a whole a growth stage just to be able to decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my life at that point, which wasn't easy. It was difficult, but yeah, that's what can happen when you spend all of your time doing things for other people. But when I, when I balance that out with, okay, it's only going to be 
these two or three things. Everything else has to be a no or a rarity. I, I rarely do a lot of like free one-to-one stuff. It's a rarity now because I've got so much going on and the podcast is doing so well. If someone wants any help with something, the podcast will probably do that. If they want any extra... It for you. Yeah, and it, it does. It works so well because without it, I, <laughs> I started the show for that reason and I just thought, this is going to do me so much good. This is going to take the pressure off so well that I'll be able to focus my energy on other things. And it has. It's been amazing. But yeah, that, that's been a big difference, you know? Give yeah. more than you take, but do it in a way that feels right. That's got to be one of the, the main things for me. And the second one. second one's probably based on a quote that I, I heard on a podcast. I think it was, I think it was Peter Diamandis. I always butcher his last name. But um, he wrote the book Bold, I think, which was about like, you know, how to, how technology's changing over the years and what the world's going to be like and, and all those things. It really sort of captivated my imagination. But basically it was, if you want to be a billionaire, help a billion people. And the reason why that stuck out is because it links almost directly to the give more than I take. So if I can give to a billion people, I've got a very good chance of being a billionaire and it factors in the whole, I need money to live, which I didn't realize at the time, you know, when you're like 14 to 16 and you're helping out when you're doing your bit and you're a volunteer and you love helping people. And then someone goes, you need a job as well. And I go, why can't I do both? You know, why can't I, why can't I do both? That, that stuck out for me because very often we don't realize that a lot of businesses or nearly all businesses solve problems that's all they do I mean, they might create other problems you know i don't want to speak to that but businesses are in the business of solving problems for people and creating solutions for things that we might not even know existed you know like yeah. netflix solved something that we didn't really think was a problem in in the movie world you know in film world and yeah, we were fine doing one way but this is so much better. So sometimes it's not about solving a problem. It's about creating the best solution. What is the best solution to this thing? And they're helping millions and potentially billions of people. And that is something that, that I would love to do. It's something that yeah, I think yeah. would be a very, very, very good legacy for me. You know, and that the book is a big part like- of that. I like that thought too of uh, um, of basically solving problems, right? Because we uh, we talk all the time um, that the purpose of what we do, right? You solve problems for someone, um, and every time you solve a problem for someone, you always create a higher level problem, right? And my favorite example of that is, you know, if if you win the lottery, before you won the lottery, you might have had money problems, but after you won the lottery, you had money management problems, right? It's a high level problem. So no matter what, no matter what your business does, if you understand that idea that, hey, what we're doing is I'm going to help you solve this problem. And by solving this problem, you're going to be in a new spot. And this new spot has a whole new set of problems. Yeah. Um, right. And that's, the, you know, to your point of, you know, getting to the top of the mountain, there's always another mountain to climb. Right. That's, uh, that's, that's what, you know, the business is. And if you under, sort of, you sort of understand how that's going to work in your business, like, hey, I'm going to help you get to be you know, healthy and fit and full of life, once you get to that point, now you're like, okay, so what do you do with your life now? <laughs> right? And so you have to, you have to be prepared from a coaching standpoint, or from a business standpoint, like, do I offer solutions for those problems? Or do I have directions I can push people? You sort of have to know what that journey looks like. Yeah, and it, it was interesting how many people raised their standards once they started to look better and feel better. They valued themselves more and everything else had to meet that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like, they looked better, they dressed better because they felt like they were worth dressing better initially. You dress better, you get better job opportunities or better uh, interviews in your business and like, you know, it, it just impacts everything. 
some of the some of the comments I used to get were, "Oh my God, I've increased my salary by X amount because I look better and feel better, and the company realizes that I'm a better fit for this role." It's weird how like, you, it's a weird situation where the world actually starts to look better when you feel better. Like when I when I I went through phases of hating myself, wanting the business to go away, wanting the world to go away, to a certain extent, just leave me alone. And my phone would ring, and I'd tell it to go away and leave me alone. And it it, it works when you do that and you shut yourself off and you just detach from the world. It does a very very good job of making you feel a bit better because you don't have to deal with any of the problems. Yeah, any of the problems but it stops everything else it actually decreases your ability to solve the problem so you turn the problem off but then you have like less energy you don't feel so good you stop looking after yourself you don't do any of the things that build you up so that you can then attack the problem again so things yeah. like care things like looking after yourself they allow you to solve those problems as well which is something i had to learn you know and there's so yeah. much there's so much that i've had i mean i'm a very sort of i don't know like i'm in my head quite a bit i internalize quite a bit i'm a bit of a thinker so there's a lot that goes into like being a better human than just going through the motions and thinking everything's going to be okay and yeah. if you want to yourself and challenge yourself you've you've got to meet the expectations of the situation like you can't pretend yeah. everything will be okay when it's not you've got things to do it's like um it was brendan bashard that said you can't tell a fish to be more fish if the aim is to climb a tree you've got to be more of a bear if you're going to climb a tree so this whole thing of like being the best version of yourself and doing all those things, well, sometimes you've got to do something new. Sometimes you've got to change things up. Sometimes you've got to think about what you can add to who you are to be able to attack those problems because you're never going to do it sometimes just by being yourself. You got to make yourself a better version of yourself. Always. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's a, a good point to, uh, to wrap our interview. I do have one simple challenge I do at the end of all of our interviews. It's uh, something I call the Heroes Challenge, and it's a selfish thing I do basically to get myself access to stories I might not otherwise find. So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. First person that comes to your mind. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show? Well, her name is Jane, and the reason why I want I would love to have her on the show is because she's overcome a lot of expectations as well. She's overcome a lot of self-doubt and, yeah, just the way that she was going to end up if she didn't change things would be very, very different from where she is now. So there's so much that goes into it. There's... Yeah, I mean, it's mostly her story, but now she travels the world when the world gets back to normal. <laughs> she she yeah. speaks, she's, I get she's that. well, and um, yeah, she, she does amazing things now. And she would never have done that had she stayed the course because she left education without anything, without any direction, nowhere to go, no sort of prospects. She was a high school dropout, essentially. Um, and yeah, she's doing amazing things now. So very sort of rags to riches like. But um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of in the weed cool. that she can share for sure. Well, we will uh, reach out afterwards, see if we can get an introduction to Jane. Um, but last part of the interview, in comic books, there's always the crowd of people who are standing along the edges cheering on the hero for their acts of heroism. So what I want to know here at the end of the show is where can people find you if they want to go through your coaching or read your book or maybe listen to your podcast? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, Mike, I'd really like to get your help to, uh, to have some personal growth. I mean, I think more importantly, who are the right types of people to reach out? 
Well, the, the best way of reaching out to me or learning more about me is to get your hands on the book. So the book comes out mid-November. So if you're listening to this and it's close to around the 19th of November, then you can join the waiting list for the book so it comes out then but if you want access to it you want access to all the goodies and competitions that go along with it um that's how you get access to it so join the waiting so list. Where, where should they go to get on the waiting list then i think it's it's yeah it's, it's a shortened link it's a weird sort of link but i'll send it all right, well i'll i'll get it from you and we'll put it in the show notes yeah, yeah. So it's a bit, it's a weird one. I'm never, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. If I always do. I'm hopeless at stuff like that. But yeah, so that, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be the first thing. So join the waiting list for the book. Second thing, podcast is the Ask Mike show. It's completely free and I interview people. I answer questions so people can submit questions and I, I give my best answers on things like self-improvement and business. And the next best, the next best place to find me would be on social media and I'm at the Michael Bryan on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Mike. Really appreciate it. Um, as a, uh, uh, before we hit this uh, stop record button, you have any final words of wisdom for our audience? I think there's something to be said for the more challenges that you overcome, the growth isn't just the result at the end. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more that changes in yourself and how you perceive the world just by overcoming challenges. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to struggle like I have. Just a little bit of a push, something a little bit different. A different experience can be enough to change how you see the world. And the best way of doing that is to overcome hardship and struggles. I completely agree. So again, thank you very much for coming on the show, Mike. My pleasure, Richard. Thanks for having me on.